Hi guys, and welcome to podcast two uh, of the Muscle Mentors podcast. I'm here with Luke. Luke, how are you? Yeah, good. Good man. Um, obviously, last time you heard our voices, it was the Q&A episode, the first podcast. Um, and next week will be Q&A two, round two. Um, and we've already got a stockpile of questions from the first podcast dropping and people responding to that. So that's going to be quite fully loaded and we've got topics ready to go. Um, we're going to get stuck into this week, the first segment of the digestion series um, discussions. And um, Luke's got some pretty cool content for us in regards to um, more of like an introduction over the basics of the, the different stages of digestion, key considerations, um, and what is going to be applicable for us to basically take on board and, and run with moving forwards, whether it's for yourself, whether it's for your clients, um, and, and, and gain value from. Um, we'll also have in the near future some experts within the field um, when it comes to the microbiome and the gut and the digestive system. Um, and that will obviously be bringing some added value from you know, different experts within the field, getting different opinions, getting different viewpoints, um, and bringing more of a practical element to to the podcast. Um, but Luke has compiled some introductory uh, information on the digestive processes in the digestive system as a whole, and we're going to start to talk through um, the stages, the major functions of each one, and then just some cool nuggets that you can take away for each of those stages. Um, how does that sound, Luke? Sounds good. Sounds uh, sounds nice and like you know. So Callum, just you know, I'll just expand on what Callum said. So like we we said next week we're going to be doing the second Q and A, and that's basically the order we're going to run these in. In terms of it'll be like an educational series. What well Q and A followed by an educational series. Then we'll do another Q and A educational series, and such and such in that manner. So that there's kind of a decent cycle going. Um, so, so y'all can be entertained. Always. Although it is quite a sad day because we've actually changed how we're recording the podcast and I've lost the ability to play my drums. So I'm not happy about that. But So Cal's going to be buying a drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> buying a full set of drums. Either that or some like a set of maracas or something. <laughs> right, before we get too distracted... Um, let's crack on. Yeah. Do you want to run with it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so basically we're going to break down some, some cool, like nuggets of, of information just regarding the gut as a whole. And then, uh, and then delve a bit into the mouth and the esophagus and kind of some key takeaways with regards to that. And like, I mean, yeah, I'll save that comment to the end, actually. <laughs> um, but, you know, so it comes down, like, if you're looking at the gut as a whole, like, you have that that age-old saying of, like, you are what you eat, which, I mean, we've all had. And um, there's a cool guy out there, which I'd love to get on here, and, and I don't know if, I don't know what the chances are, but Dr. Brian Walsh, who came out with this cool cool quote, which is, is done the rounds now, but that's... um that you are what you eat, digest, absorb, and don't excrete in the sense of like, if, if you're not digesting, well, well, if you're not digesting what you're eating, 
and absorbing it. You, you know, it's not going to become a part of you. And then the stuff that you're not excreting, and in the sense of there's certain things we do want to excrete, if those things stick about, they're going to become a part of us again, and and it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. Um. The uh, and then, but then, like I, I kind of expanded on that and came up with another little quote, which is like that in relation to what we're talking about and that's more like health and performance is determined by what is able to be digested assimilated excreted and or not excreted so it's kind of like if you're looking to change someone's body in any way possible from like a health perspective or performance perspective your ability to process food that you eat in an effective manner underpins everything and um and that's where like if you like put the gut in perspective from from a like how it well if you take like a pretty uh blown up view of the gut you you'd think like the surface area of the gut is, is equivalent to like the a regulation size tennis court that's crazy so, isn't it? yeah that's pretty sweet so if, and that's where like if you were gonna like stretch out someone's entire gut from like mouth mouth to ass <laughs> don't, don't actually do that but just think about yeah. it but and like flatten it out in terms of all the like little grooves and and uh like folds that are present in like the, the intestinal lumen and stuff like that and, and the folds within the stomach itself you, you basically have this this mass that is the size of a, of a tennis ball which is insane um and um the uh you know and then like going on from that you have like fact that like 70 80 percent of the uh the, the body's immune system is located within the gut, which um, I, I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard. But um, and like and that's where, if you were to look at the relationship between the gut and the skin, like our, our, there, there's a lot of similarity there, and that's where a lot of people have termed the actual gut itself, like the inner skin, in the sense of that that's our true barrier to the outside world, and. Um, and, and all the stuff that is occurring on our well within our GI tract can you know is going to influence what's what's happening on like the the outer levels of skin and and, and that, you know and you see that with people a lot of people with skin conditions are, are typically dealing with a lot of gastrointestinal disorders as well, mm. um, which I'm sure you. I've seen with. I've seen that with quite a fair few clients, um, and even like from the perspective of. Uh, uh, psoriasis as well like people with certain levels of dysbiosis in the past that are now suffering from um, skin issues yeah and like there's a bloke who messaged me on uh, Instagram the other day saying he, he, he used to have a skin condition and then when he started changing how he was eating and what he was eating it pretty much fixed itself yeah so, it's probably a microbiome bro but the, like the, 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 the novelty of Obviously, somebody gets diagnosed with some form of skin, it's not disorder, but some form of skin irregularity, and they'll go to the doctor and they'll give them a cream. It's like, it's just a typical mask, masking of the actual issue in the first place, isn't it? Yeah, and, I, and like, Luke Lehman said this when we went on muscle nerves, but, you know, people people do all that stuff where they buy all these expensive creams and, and put them on their skin. And, and, you know, when you look at your outer, your outer skin, like that skin is basically dead. Like you, you, that's like there's layers to that skin, and the one you can see is the one that you can't really help. So you're kind of 
putting all this stuff on there that is is not really going to accomplish a lot mm. and and what what it's full with it's full of all these micronutrients and and uh diff- various different compounds that will actually benefit you from eating and that's where you know you you start addressing this stuff from a dietary standpoint and you tend to have far more of a, of a successful um results um but yeah um and then so back to the gut um the um yeah i mean when you're looking at like the gut from like a perspective of like the neurotransmitters that are present in the gut like the the the, the gut itself there's there's a part of the gut called the enteric nervous system called the ens and that basically within the ens that the there's like the manufacturing of significantly more neurotransmitters in the brain and um and these are produced by specific cells and micros, uh, microbes. Um, and uh, every class of neurotransmitters found in the brain has been found in the gut too, which is pretty cool. Mm. Um, and that's where you, you people hear that term, like the gut-brain connection and all that stuff. But like on a, you know, on a, more, on a more specific level, like 80, 90% of, like, of serotonin, which um, everyone always terms the happy hormone, is made in the GI tract, and that actually plays a huge role in regulating um, gastrointestinal motility, which is pretty cool. So people get like stressed out and deficient in, in, in serotonin, and then they find their their gut goes to shit, literally. Um, and it's, it's it's generally due to the disruptions that they'll have to all the neurotransmitters within the gut that regulate motility and stuff like that. But um, and then, like, again, with the neurons, you know, neurotransmitters and neurons, there's, there's there's more neurons in the GI tract than there are on the spinal cord, which is uh, another pretty cool thing. And, like, from a nerve, another perspective of the nervous system, the vagus nerve itself, which is, like, the big major nerve that innovates the, well, connects the ENS to the, to the central nervous system. And, um, and this is, like, pretty much entirely parasympathetic, dominant which is again why you come back to the whole you know rest and digest aspect of the nervous system is like is the term for the parasympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system and that's basically because digestion itself is an entirely parasympathetic led activity um and what's more cool is like 90 percent of the signaling between the gut and the brain travels from the gut to the brain so so most of the stuff happening on that that runway is 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 starting in the gut which is pretty cool mm-hmm. so again plays a pretty big influence even and like um from the perspective of like um vagal nerve stimulation like you can even massage that stuff to increase stimulation can't you yeah like, i mean that stuff literally goes like goes pretty much straight to the diaphragm and stuff like that and you know you can get to that straight to that. pretty cool um, and like on the, you know, the vagus nerve itself, if, if you were to actually cut it, you'd find that the, you know, the enteric nervous system and the central nervous system would be able to function independent of one another. And that's why the enteric nervous system ha- is a separate thing because it basically is its, its own, uh, its own entity, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, and then when it, so delving into the like microbial angle a little more like, like the microbiome which is the 
like collection of um, microbial genes mostly within our body, um, like microbial DNA is termed the microbiome, and then you have the human DNA, which is the, the human genome. And then the combination of the two, you would term the, the hollow biome, which a lot of people don't really take into account. But like when you take into account that there's 10 times more microbial cells than, than mammalian cells in our body. And most of these are found within the gastrointestinal tract. And like, you know, there's probably about three to five pounds of microbes in the GI tract alone. And then there's a hundred times more DNA it's microbial than there is human DNA in the body, you know, it plays a pretty huge role with regards, you know, so when we're, when we're doing stuff that's like smashing our gut with regards to the foods we're eating and stressing out and, and exposing it to things it doesn't want to be exposed to, we're upsetting essentially the 99% of us that's, that's in control. And then we, we kind of suffer the consequences. Um, like when you think like the microbes and cells are responsible for vitamin synthesis, like vitamin, you know the B vitamins, vitamin K, you know assists in immune function, plays a huge role in like our neurology and behaviour, and and is you know largely responsible for a lot of the like energy extraction we we have from food. So you get certain types of bacteria that will extract a bit more energy from the foods we eat. So you get you know accelerated weight gain in some instances and then you get you know they regulate inflammation which can help prevent and in some cases cause disease so it's like the takeaway there is you have gastrointestinal dysfunction you're going to have systemic dysfunction which is pretty shit mm. and that's where you, know, you get people say you know health starts in the gut and it is pretty true mm. yeah do you agree and it's like from the perspective of the gut itself when you look at most of modern day medicine it's like the missing link that people aren't addressing isn't it yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a constant it's a constant influx to fix symptoms but they're not looking yeah. not looking down or up the chain of what actually is causing the issues yeah I mean and like we'll, you'll be able to attest as well like the, the difference you can make to results with clients from addressing diet and, and eating practices right mm. it's like the foundations of you know the, those guys are the foundations of the setup of any body comp or health orientated client is getting all those boxes ticked first because normally if you can nail those things then everything else normally starts to fall into place absolutely absolutely so yeah so 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 that's basically kind of an overview of the GI system as a whole. And like we're, we're now, this is where we're going to like transition into talking about some of the, um, like, well, breaking down the various phases of digestion, basically. Um, and like, you, we first got to basically break down the primary digestive organs and then those that assist in the process. And there's like, so from a primary digestive organ perspective, you're looking at like the mouth, the pharynx, the esophagus, the stomach, the small intestine, and it's like three, um, three parts, which uh, we'll get to eventually. That'll be in a future episode. And then the large intestine, and then it's through you know, four parts. Um, 
and uh, and then like the accessory digestive organs which people don't tend to speak about as much um that's like the brain the teeth the tongue the salivary glands the liver the gallbladder pancreas and you can make an argument for the appendix but we won't really cover that because there's too much debate there um and that's so so like when people say what's the first day of digestion i mean i was i've always i remember sitting in the muscle nerd seminar when luke asked that and and he was like the first guy that turned me on to digestion and um and he and i was like oh this is the map obviously right mm. i'm sure this <laughs> is the same and then and then he he was like no it's the brain and luke, luke throws like a flipping marker pen at your head for being wrong <laughs> <laughs> but the um the yeah so so that so basically digestion is like the process of digestion will start in the mouth but you you're like the like the actual like the initiation like, of digestion yeah, yeah that's the word i'm looking for the initiation of digestion will start within the brain and that's where like you could get someone to start thinking about their food and they'll start secreting insulin and and you know salivating basically and that's that's all brain derived function um and it's um so so the brain plays a huge role and like you you kind of see that with regards to you put some food in your mouth and it tastes pretty damn good and it signals all this other stuff further down down the line and that's all due to the receptor activity within the within the mouth that kind of links up to the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system and simulates all those downstream digestive processes but um but if we basically if we like zoom in on the mouth so just before you go mouth like most of the people listening to this will be either pts or be busy like working professionals i presume like talk explain the the relevance of how people now live hectic lifestyles everything's about convenience and how we're missing that initial point like what what would be actionable points that we would give to clients to then make sure that they are more mindful and conscious of that initial stage yeah that's nice that's nice um th- that's a that's a damn good question um but the yeah and he's, he's totally right basically the way we're living now is like 100 miles an hour everything's convenient you're eating on the go food's prepared like readily in like really shitty ways as well um and uh you know it's not how we've you know food how we've evolved to deal with it in terms of from if you document human existence you know this last few centuries probably total up like one percent of the amount of time we've actually been on this earth Mm. like the times before that we've been you know hunter gatherers like before we like made this like civilization like what well, formed a civilization we, we were kind of having this hunt together approach and, and like the, the process of eating like the you call it the ritual of eating was very much a ritual and the fact that it was like a celebrated thing people took their time they sat down they like really thought about the food they're eating and you know they chewed things really well and um and like the, the types of food they're eating as well but that's not really the point the point is like like eating was a you know really really important practice that they spent time doing 
and and it's something that's been completely lost nowadays. It's, it's probably it, probably like they'd probably only be eating like once a day as well, right? Yeah, yeah. and it's like that whole process, the, the way we live now, with like this highly stressed out approach. We're not really thinking about what we're eating. All the stuff that the brain, you know, the, this these downstream effects of like salivation and the stuff that goes on in the stomach, you know, stomach acid secretion and, you know, pancreatic enzyme release and all the stuff that happens further down, it all really starts in the brain. And mm. when you have someone that's not really present and thinking about the food they're eating, that all gets disrupted. Mm. And their ability to, when you hop back to that quote we said at the beginning, like you are what you eat, digest, absorb and don't excrete, that whole digest, absorb part is going to get, hammered and the don't excrete part too because your motility is probably going to get hammered when you're all stressed out when we spoke about that serotonin thing so so the you know the 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 implications massive and all it really requires is like people to just slow down sit down mm. eat food and be present and, and be aware of what they're eating and not doing it while they're watching a screen and like taking like five chews per mouthful and then swallowing it you know and stuff like that and like jake carter put up a good post the other day with one of his clients who, who he'd basically ordered to um i think where well, he put it on his story but he, he basically ordered his client to uh have his meal enjoying the view from from the gym he works in and they had this like skyscraper view and it was you know it was the point of that was he was getting the guy to chill out and be present and focus on the, nothing but the food and just like appreciating the view and de-stressing managing that stress and and that's what people need to do you know it's one of the simplest things and like people complain of a lot of digestive issues and and like digestive discomfort and all that stuff and all they you know one of the biggest things they need to do is like be present with the food they're eating and, and chew it for fuck's sake <laughs> yeah literally i've literally done a, a like a number of posts on that and like it all comes back to manage stress mm. like, manage stress and be present so yeah it's a good question mm. so the mouth right yeah so um so the mouth itself like the goal of the mouth is to masticate or chew food and hydrolyze food so that's like the enzymatic breakdown of food in order to create a bolus that then will then travel down the esophagus to the stomach that's literally the role of the mouth and um you know so we mentioned earlier there's these like receptors in the mouth and, and this comes there's a thing called like somatosensory awareness and like the oral tissues of the body are some of the most like richly innovated of any of any of the tissues in the human body in terms of the amount of receptors that they contain and people can attest this like you, you you put a something small on your on your back like a little pin or something you're barely going to feel it and you you put you had if you had that in your mouth you'd feel it straight away and it would fucking hurt and that's where you know the receptors in these in the in the mouth they send these kind of afferent signals to the brain signaling all these Various things, so like mechanical events and thermal events, um, so like heat and, and, and touch and, and, and pain. So, so there's all these different things that are happening in the mouth. And, and when we eat certain foods that we enjoy and or certain foods that we don't, you know, these receptors are 
largely responsible for kind of stimulating or, or gauging how our body's going to respond to that. So it's, um, you know, and that's why it's another reason why people need to chew their food because the longer the food's present in your mouth, there's more of a, of a chance for these receptors to kind of send the right signals. And people just, again, they miss out on it. Mm. Um, but like the, um, I'd say the biggest, biggest area of the mouth that is worth like delving into is, is saliva. And like, if you, I mean, you, you only need to Wikipedia saliva to see like this stupid amount of, of things that are present in it. And, and the, like the, the, the bulk of saliva is water. So if, if the takeaway from that is if you're not hydrated, you're already at a disadvantage when it comes to the functions of saliva and then in turn digestion to some degree. Um, well, a pretty large degree. If you're dehydrated, you count yourself like pretty heavily disadvantaged in every aspect of your bodily function. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so you've also got enzymes present and that's like, thing, the, the main two really are um, alpha amylase, which is that responsible for breaking down starches. And that's where, you know, you, you get someone to chew a piece of bread for a while and, and, and it becomes sweet. And that's because you've got out the, this amylase, which is breaking down the, uh, like amylopectin, um, like starches and stuff in the in the bread, which releases all those monodisaccharides and stuff, and it eventually becomes sweet, um, and like breaks it down into glucose essentially. The um, and then you have like lingual or salivary lipase, which is this, which is an enzyme responsible for breaking down fat, which doesn't technically get activated until it reaches the stomach, but you do, to some degree, start the fat digestion within the mouth, which a lot of people don't actually know, which is quite mm. cool. Um, and then like things like electrolytes, mucus, which is there really to just lubricate the food you eat. Um, so it can pass down your esophagus easily. Um, so again, you know, people chew their food really quickly and their stuff gets stuck in their throat and they're like, Oh, what's going on? It's like, it's cause you didn't let saliva do its thing. Um, and then, um, you know, anti, antimicrobials. So things like, secretory immunoglobulin A or secretory IgA, which is a lot of people know it has, like lactoferrin, lysozyme, and these guys are there to like kill off a lot of the pathogens and stuff that you, you take it that will come in on the food we eat and when we generally open our mouth essentially. Um, white blood cells are in there again for, for the immune effect um, or immune response kind of things you have like actual human cells and this again kind of throws into that the balance between human cells and microbial cells there's like about 8 million human cells per milliliter and about 500 million microbial cells per milliliter of, of um, saliva and that's where like you get excessive amounts of, of microbial cells or like dysbiosis to some degree um, and you'll get this uh, you can get like saliva that smells pretty dodgy or it has like a higher molecular weight. And that's why you, you see a lot of it, people using like spit tests to help diagnose things like candida. Mm. And that's where you get people to like spit in a, in a glass. What do you, th what do you think of that? Do you, have you used that before? I haven't, but I've read about it. The whole like spit, spindly legs and what sits and what floats. Yeah. I've never really had the, like the reason to, um, 
but it's like yeah there's you know you have the one where you get someone to spit in and, and you then observe what the saliva does and if it sinks it's generally a sign that there's more microbial cells than human cells mm. like significantly more and to the point where it's okay you've got some sort of potential overgrowth maybe mm. or and then if you get um like the the saliva bolus or whatever will, will start sprouting little legs it can be a sign that if you've got some like yeast overgrowth and you took it part back to candida so i mean that's one to look into a bit more yourselves but people there's a lot of functional medicine practitioners that implement that and it is pretty successful apparently a lot of them say uh there's there's a cool woman christina arecchio and she um she she uses it in conjunction with a lot of her actual lab testing and said like nine nine times out of ten it comes back like the, the saliva test correlation as, yeah as effective um Instead, yeah, instead, instead of spending four hundred pound on this test, you can spit into a cup. Really much. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and then, and then there's another one which is quite cool. So in the saliva, the thing called haptocorin, which is this, it actually binds to be it's a protein that binds to B12 to protect it against the the harsh environment of the stomach prior to B12 then being bound to intrinsic factors, so it can be absorbed through there. So like that's again. You get someone who's not um, not salivating properly, not eating, you know, chewing things well, and they're potentially going to down the line eventually or get some sort of B twelve deficiency. Maybe, I mean, that, that's a, that's a stretch, but you you can be sure you're going to like affect your ability to absorb B twelve to some degree. Mm. Um, yeah, you sound good. Yeah, so it's really good, really good, mate. What's the whole notion between like stress response and your ability, to, well, your salivary production? Well, essentially, go down. You'll go down. It, like that's the thing. Like if you get like like we spoke about with digestion being this parasympathetic dominant activity. Yeah. If you're in sympathetic dominant state and highly stressed out, your digestion as a whole is just gonna, you know eventually shut down Conk, yeah. the body's in that fight or flight response and you get and that's where you get someone you know people will be able to attest to this when they're standing up in front of people doing a speech and they get a really dry mouth yeah that's that's that like literally anecdotally that's what i was thinking of yeah. right but like it's obviously it's an extreme case but it's the same same principle applies you, yeah but then you get people that are having that chronic stress response and they're you know they're not salivating and they're missing out on all those little cool guys that we just spoke about mm. and they're not chewing properly they're not drinking the fucking water idiots yeah. and, you know so it's, it's and that's like how we live which is pretty bad and um and it's like and then, you know someone actually said i was chewing food the other day in public and and i was with a friend and they were like man that's so weird that you chew that much i was like sorry i was yeah. like that is just messed up yeah. but like this weird that i'm doing the thing that we're built to do do yeah Rather than just chew five times and swallow, it was like, see that, mate. Um, but I, I remember I went to, you know, Ryan Liverte. I went out for a steak with him somewhere in London when when I was down for Muscle Nerds. And uh, he literally, we were in there for like three hours because he was chewing his steak so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a legend. Yeah. The, um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, it's cool stuff. 
And like, so if we look at like the salivary glands themselves, I mean, this one is just, I mean, yeah, I suppose it's worth knowing. Like the, there's like four main glands of, of, that secrete, secrete saliva and you have like the parotid gland, which like lit, like the word parotid literally means behind the ears. And that's like secretes like 20, 25% of total saliva. And that's mainly enzymatic in the, in the stuff it releases. So there's various different glands and they all release different amounts of, of these compounds we spoke of. And there's like the submandibular gland, which, which secretes about 70% of total saliva. And that's like, again, mainly enzymatic. And then the sublingual gland, which, um, which is like under the tongue says, so submandibular is like under the mandible basically. Um, sublinguals under the tongue and that's about like just under five percent of total saliva and that's mainly for lubrication um, and then uh, the these little ones called von Ebner's glands and they they release like less than five percent again and they release mainly that lingual lipase thing um, which is responsible for breaking down triglycerides into free fatty acids and diglycerides and monoglycerides and stuff so so it's a uh, I mean, that's one for the geeks, right? Now you know. <laughs> um, but like, if you break down, like, so the question is like, why, you know, there's a lot of enzymatic stuff occurring in the actual mouth. And it's like, why is digestion and hydrolysis even occurring in the mouth at all? And, you know, it's quite a good question because there's not actually, you know, the degree of digestion isn't pretty, isn't massively, isn't massive. Um, but like the, the main reason is taste. So it's essentially like you break this stuff down so you can actually taste it. Um, and then it's also like the sterilization of the foods you're eating, um, protection of the oral microbes, um, which we'll touch on in a bit. Um, and the, you know, it sits in the process further down the line. So like if you're breaking, starting to break stuff down in your mouth, it means your stomach has less work to do, which in turn means your small intestine has less work to do, which means that they can do their jobs a little bit better. Mm. And, uh, and then you also get the fact that you know the more time like we said the more time food spends in your mouth the more time your proprioceptors in there are able to to actually tell your body what's coming in and um and then lastly i mean i remember hearing jake speak about this um when he was on a podcast of some sort but the um it reduces the likelihood of intolerances occurring because you have the the, the rna and the dna um within saliva like those human cells and stuff that that mix with the food we eat and then and that which assists in like the processing of nutrients because your body is essentially going to recognize that food a bit more effectively which is pretty cool mm. and then again boils down to like you know people that don't chew their food well enough and like i always say minimum 20 chews if you want to be on it you'd be getting like 30 chews probably minimum again um and like how many times do you reckon I have to chew my uh, bowl of Kellogg's cornflakes post workout? I'd, I'd literally be there for like five hours. Exactly. <laughs> take half, take yeah. half, take half yeah, a day. Like, look at the food itself, and it's like if it's something like a meat. Oh yeah, this is context in it. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, and that's where I remember. I can't remember who said it, but you know, you get people that if they suck at eating meat, or if they suck at chewing. You give them, you give them mince meat because it means it's half the job's already done for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And that's where, you know, if you've got people that there's going to be people out there that are listening to this and they're like, and especially PTs that are like, oh my God, you know, I, I have fucking 20 clients a day. <laughs> Maybe not that many, but, you know, like 10 clients a day and I can't have, you know, I have like five minutes between clients to eat my food. Go for foods that don't require you to do a lot of chewing. Mm. Already pretty broken down, like minced meat's not a bad shout. Um, Fish? And yeah, stuff like that. So stuff that's just easy easy to break down in the mouth you get you start smashing down like a sirloin steak in one of those meals good luck <laughs> you're fucked <laughs> yeah. um but yeah so like uh you, you know you don't chew you miss out on those mechanisms and like the more important thing which i well, i say the more important thing a another important thing is that if we eat food that we don't like and that we're not salivating for you're going to miss out on those mechanisms so so you get these people that are you know I hate chicken and broccoli, uh, but I've got to eat it because that's what so-and-so eats to get in shape. It's like, yeah, you're probably not setting yourself up for the best response to that food because you're, you know, you, 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 your body's not wanting to have it. Mm. And you're going to miss out on all that other stuff. And then, so, so, you know, that's where I hate to say it, but there's an argument for that whole, if it fits your macros approach, because if you can eat foods that you like, that are still pretty nutritious, let's say like, Eat, eating like an adult, as a skinny yeah. skinny guys would say. Yeah. So you just don't eat like an idiot who eats like shards of broccoli, like uncooked broccoli, because you think that's what bodybuilders should eat. So, nah. Um, that's a good point, though. Actually, like just in terms of food selection and preference. So, like, I, I like when I do nutrition plans, I like to give people a little bit of freedom of choice, just because you, you know you don't want to like you know tell someone to eat certain food that they're not liking because you're not you're not going to help them uh, so, well i mean it's like the, the effect that or have i wonder like that, that's probably like a something that will build up over time like if you have to do that for a few weeks because you've got to like get someone in stupid shape probably be all right but i don't know that's not something you want to do long term um sacrifice to win shit <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So the um, so yeah, key, I mean, key points on that area would be massively around revolved around chewing, wouldn't it? Yeah, chew your food, hydrate, be present with what you're eating. Like, make sure your your brain is as much a part of that process as your mouth is, basically. Mm. Um, and that's um, I mean, that's pretty much the mouth. I mean, I was going to touch on your microbiome, but yeah. we, we are going to dive deep into this area in future episodes alongside the entirety of the gastrointestinal microbiome with an aim to get a number of specific guests on in order to cover each of the major areas in sufficient detail. But all you need to know for the time being is that the oral microbiome firstly exists <laughs> and secondly... Dude, it, um, this is where I fucking need my drum. God damn it. <laughs> Just make it with your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, it plays a key role in the like the metabolizing of certain nutrients we consume. And like a prime example is that I put up a post a couple of weeks ago of like the inorganic nitrates that we consume in foods. Um, Good post. Leafy green, and and like you know we we as humans don't actually possess the capacity to convert these guys into nitrites, so they can in turn be converted into nitric oxide, and that, so the which in turn means they can elicit like the positive 
cardiovascular effects that they have but it, like this conversion is actually led by the microbes that live in our mouth which is pretty cool um but um but yeah i mean lastly like the oral microbiome plays a plays a huge role in regulating the downstream activity of the whole gastrointestinal microbiome like for you know that they like i i read something oh and they were saying like there's it's estimated that we swallow approximately a trillion microbes per day through all of our typical oral behaviors and practices and when you think there's there's like a hundred trillion odd bacteria in the gut itself that's that's actually a decent amount mm. um i mean it's one percent but that one percent is going to be way more you know you look at a probiotic that only has a few billion in the stuff you're swallowing is going to have more of an effect provided it can make it through the the, gut, the stomach which a lot of them can um but um you know there's uh and there's you know there's been like quite a few studies documenting like the overlap between the oral microbiome and the the colonic microbiome so the, the one in our large intestine and there's like about a 45 percent overlap in in microbial populations between the two so right there we know that what enters our mouths and influences the microbial populations there is likely to have a pretty potent downstream effect with respect to the the microbiome and that actually that actually brings to mind a consultation i had this week with a new client who mentioned that he he once had a digestive biscuit and i don't know there'll be people out there who can relate to this potentially but he like chewed it a few times and then decided to spit it out and then he still bloated pretty much immediately. And, and he was like, oh, I can't, you know, I don't know how to explain that. And this guy, you know, he's also a guy that evidently has some level of dysbiosis. And this was from like A, assessing symptoms and B, he's done a previous stool test with a previous coach. And um, so we know there's something going on, but he can figure out why. And there's like, there's a, there's a couple of ways I reckon it could occur. And like one of them would be, it could be some intolerance to the compounds within the digestive biscuit, something like wheat, gluten, dairy, whatever, and, and that were recognized by some of those receptors that we spoke about, which in turn triggered some kind of inflammatory downstream response. Or secondly, it could be due to the reaction that these like the oral microbes had to the presence of the food that in turn caused their buddies in the small intestine and colon to react similarly and trigger this like GI distressful effect because we know that things that things like bloating are often due to an overproduction of specific gases such as hydrogen and methane by gut microbes. So given that it's the microbes that regulate most of the food sensitivities anyway, even if that isn't true about the 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 you know the the oral microbes influencing the colonic microbes, the the um you know, so even if that isn't true, the, the actual correct theory as to what may be occurring is probably going to be originating within the realms of the microbiome anyway. Mm. So, so it's like the, the microbiome, and we'll, you'll see this, like the more we, we speak about this, the more you guys read about this, you, you come to realize that human health and function in general is pretty much underpinned entirely by the microbiome. Yeah. And it's, you know, so it's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. And like whichever way we look at it, we can clearly see that, the oral microbiome has a pretty huge role to play with respect to gastrointestinal function. So it's, um, but we'll, we'll like for sure get some absolute wizard or, or witch on 
the podcast to really delve into that area. Yeah. Any the first female guest has basically just been classified as a witch now. So <laughs> that's your fault. There's another drum opportunity. <laughs> um, so, like uh, further reading and points of interest for people to go and look at would be what? What are your top top go tos books? Top go tos would be yeah. There's some cool books on the microbiome. So there's one by there's one called the human superorganism. One called with the human superorganism by I think that's like what, Rodney Dietert something Doctor Rodney Dietert something like that. Just type in the human superorganism. It's got it's got like a handprint on the front. It's a bloody good book. Ten um, percent human by Alana Colin. That's good. She has it's quite a good name to write about the bacteria as well um the um and uh i mean those two are, are two that if you want to go into the microbiome are pretty decent if you want to go into like digestion and looking at things from like a functional medicine perspective i'd say there's a pretty decent book by liz lipsky called digestive wellness which is pretty comprehensive um and then, um, and then that's it's also a case of just start listening to podcasts and, and digging into research with regards to gastrointestinal function. Brian Walsh is also good, isn't he? Yeah, Brian Walsh, awesome. Uh, what's uh, Sean Croxton's um, stuff called? Digestive, digestion. Yeah, digestion sessions. Sessions, yeah. that's it. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, good. Mm. Sweet. Yeah, how are we have time? Uh, yeah, it's like 40, 40 ish minutes. Yeah, um, we, like, like I can do the esophagus in like two minutes. Okay, esophagus me. <laughs> so the, um, yeah, I mean the esophagus. All you need to know about the, the esophagus really is the structure. So it's like you can go into like we, I mean we could go into like the differing sections of the, the esophagus and like there's like the upper section that's a little bit more skeletal muscle and then it becomes transition yeah you know, transitions to more smooth muscle. So we have like a little bit of control over the top half of the esophagus and then it it's, it's all uh nervous system regulated but the the main thing about the esophagus is that the diaphragm basically sits across and this is there's like the lower esophageal sphincter that everyone always you know blames for having that gastroesophageal reflux disease which you know everyone you know gerd with the you know acid reflux and they're like oh yeah it's you know the lower esophageal sphincter and when you think you look at how that's actually structured it basically sits right it passes right through the, the diaphragm and it's the diaphragm that is that voluntary skeletal muscle that you know contracts to pull down as we breathe and and when there's like dysregulation in the in the function of the diaphragm it can actually dysregulate the function of that lower esophageal sphincter so you get yes you can there's mechanisms where you can get like hypoacidity of the stomach and that will cause acid reflux that way but you can also get things where people are breathing really shallow and um and they're not chewing food potentially very well and and but they're, they're not again it comes back to that being mindful thing and they're not you know stimulating their parasympathetic nervous system which is again going to influence diaphragmatic breathing and that just just, just before before we jump over that just um just give a minute or so on this the relevance of breathing and the control over the nervous system yeah so i mean that's like breathing is probably the biggest way we can jump in and take control of the nervous system so like 
we have like the autonomic nervous system which is always balanced between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic there's not a lot you know we don't technically have a lot of control over that but breathing is the way that we can basically jump in and take the wheel to some degree and shift our body more over to a parasympathetic state and the that essentially you know they, they've done a lot of research and they found that like it's exhaling that is more parasympathetic so when people are kind of really shallow breathing or breathing really shallowly if that's even a word um, Shall shallowly shallowly <laughs> um, they're not they're not they're not spending a lot of time exhaling yeah that's they're becoming quite sympathetic so you get someone to slow down how they're breathing and really think about lengthening those exhales and they kind of can dial up that parasympathetic activity and that's something that people should be doing prior to eating really you spend a few minutes just like breathing deeply lengthening those exhales and then you regain control over that parasympathetic nervous system get the diaphragm working as it should be and you're going to influence how that how, how food's essentially moving through the esophagus mm. so you don't get things getting pumped back up and causing you know acid reflux you know acid spilling up into that lower lower level of the esophagus but it you know again it comes down to chill out be mindful and, and chew food and good a good app to teach um like more deep breathing diaphragmatic breathing is oak O-A-K. I've used that before. It's good. Sweet. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the esophagus. I mean, there's that, like, in terms of, yeah, I'd say that's pretty much it. That's that's all you need to go for. Good work. Breathe. As, Breathe. You, can, as you can tell, Luke is quite a big fan of the digestive system. <laughs> <laughs> as we all should be. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, okay, so... We'll wrap that there. Obviously, next week is going to be second Q&A. We've already got um, a bunch of questions piled up for that. If, but if people want to send in more, then you know where to find us. Just drop us a direct message or um, email us, and we can we can answer anything you want. Um, round two on digestion. Like, what do you want to save for that episode the week after next? That would be, yeah, going through like stomach, probably small intestine. And then we'll save the colon and like, we'll, I mean, that the colon will probably go into things like the microbiome because we'll have to talk about fiber and stuff like that. Yeah. And roll, you know, butyrate phase and stuff. So, so that will be, that will hold, be an entire episode. And then, and then we'll look to get a guest on. And like the, this thing, like we will, we'll kind of cover the basics and then we'll get some people on that just go absolutely in. And um, yeah, that would be cool. That'd be cool. All right. Yeah. Good man. Um, everyone, thank Luke for such a fantastic episode. Um, <laughs> we will, um, yeah, we'll, we'll drop this. The next uh, Q&A is all Callum. Yeah, it's all on me. Um, <laughs> Luke's just going to mute his mic and just basically let me talk. Um, no, awesome. Um, next week will be Q&A round two, and then we'll dip back over to digestion. Um, we're going to do after the digestive one is is complete if it ever can be complete um the next series that we'll delve into will be more like looking at the nervous system in in a deeper complexity with stress and sleep and uh, sleep will be a really cool one 
um, and we'll bring on somebody um, more expert within the sleep field as well to start talking through their findings and their um, thought process on the on the matter. Um, but yeah, is that is that all we've got? That's good. Yeah, solid. Perfect. Um, tune in next week for Q and A number two, and uh, we will see you soon. Boom. Ciao.